following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. only one way you can be washed in the blood of the Lamb. It's not complicated, but it's exceedingly rare. That is by repentance. You're listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley, pastor of the National Prayer Chapel, Woodbridge, Virginia. Here's the problem we're facing. Conviction of sin 
is one of the most uncommon things that ever happens to a person. But it is the beginning of an understanding of God. Now, Jesus said that the Holy Spirit would come and he would convict people of sin in John, the 16th chapter, verse 8. When the Holy Spirit stirs a person's conscience and brings him into the presence of God, it's not that person's relationship with others that bothers him, but his relationship with God. Remember, King David in Psalm 51, verse 4 said, Against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. Well, Oswald Chambers, writing about this, continues, The wonders of conviction of sin, forgiveness and holiness, are so interwoven that it is only the forgiven person who is truly holy. He proves he is forgiven by being the opposite of what he was previously, and he does so by the grace of God. Repentance always brings a person to the point of saying, I have sinned. The surest sign that God is at work in a man's life is when he says, I have sinned, and he means it. Anything less is simply sorrow for having made a foolish mistake, a a reflex action caused by self-disgust. The entrance into the kingdom of God is through the sharp, sudden pains of repentance. This is the entrance into the kingdom of God. There is no other path by which you can enter into the kingdom of heaven. It is that incredible struggle that begins to form the character of a man. This new life will reveal itself in conscious repentance followed by holiness. the very foundation of the Christian faith is repentance. That's where it all starts and that's where it all ends. Repentance. When a man or woman begins to feel a conviction of sin and a sorrow for that sin, then God can begin to do something in that person's life. If you remember in Genesis, the promise there in Genesis 3.15 was that there would be enmity between the woman and the serpent, between the church and the serpent, between the offspring of Adam and Eve and the serpent. There would be a small opening, a, a small place for anger against the serpent it's not a very large opening but it's through that opening that we move into the narrow path by means of repentance 
Now, I remember many years ago when I was confronted by a man, a holy man of God. And I must confess, he made me very angry when he said this to me. He said, you must repent, pastor. And my angry response back to him was, I have repented. I am fine with God. Well, he turned aside and did not speak with me further. But he was exactly right. I had no conscious awareness of any sin in my heart or in my life. The Puritans used to say, Plead with Jesus for the gift of tears. Plead with Jesus for the gift of tears. That is the most precious gift that God can give a person to begin them on this journey toward heaven. Now, I've looked very carefully at the scriptures. I've searched all of my life to try to understand this this salvation issue. I've been very conscious from the time I was a small child that death comes as an unwelcome visitor. I was walking with my father in downtown Denver, Colorado. Or maybe it was Laramie, Wyoming. It was somewhere in the West. I was holding on to my father's hand and we met a man on the street and dad greeted him and this man kindly got down and greeted me asked me how I was it was very friendly and as we walked away I said daddy who was that man and he told me his name I don't remember it the next morning there was a phone call at our home an urgent phone call from the wife of this man. He had died during the night. The wife had awakened during the night for some reason in the early hours of the morning, and she had tried to tell her husband to roll over because he was taking up her side of the bed, and he did not respond. And so she gently shook him, and he did not respond. She was quite concerned and got up and discovered that he was not breathing. He was gone. She called for help, but there was nothing they could do. In the night, he'd had a heart attack and he had died. Daddy told me about him and I was quite saddened because this man had been very kind to me. So Daddy said to me, Would you like to go to the funeral, Ray? Well, what's a funeral, Daddy? It's where we honor this man and give him into the hands of Jesus. Yes, I want to go. Well, Mother thought I was too young to go to a funeral. I didn't need to face that trauma. But Daddy said, No, he needs to know. And so I went, and I went up with my Daddy to the to the casket I stood there and looked yes this was the same man who'd greeted me but he was gone 
Now, I understood part of what had happened because I'd been raised with farm animals, with pets, and I had seen pets die. I'd seen farm animals die. But the full impact of death had not hit me until this man who had greeted me so kindly one day and then the next was gone. And I said, Daddy, where'd he go? Well, he said, I hope he's sleeping in Jesus. But, Raymond, I don't know where he went. That's up to Jesus. He will decide where this man will go. I became very aware of what death was. And through the intervening years, I have conducted many, many funerals. Some in the bright sunshine of a warm summer day. Some in the bitter cold of standing at the graveside with the zero temperatures whipping about us and the snow coming down. It didn't matter what the weather was doing. They were gone. Now, please hear what I'm trying to say to you today. You cannot afford to play with death. You cannot afford to play with death. Death is going to come to you. Death comes to all of Adam's children because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Adam sinned against Almighty God. And with that sin, death entered. And Adam then produced after his kind men and women who would suffer death because of sin. Not because of Adam's sin, but because of their own sin. We all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so of greatest concern should be How can I avoid this death issue? It's real death. And then the judgment the scriptures tell us. A man lives one time and then he faces the judgment. You are going to face the wrath of God against your sin. It's very plain in the the book of Romans. Let me see if I can turn quickly to it. In the book of Romans, I was going to share Acts first, but let's go to the book of Romans first. This is a very telling passage of Scripture. I am not ashamed, chapter 1, verse 16, of the gospel, because it is the power, it is the dynamite of God for the salvation of everyone who believes And to believe is much more than mental assent. It means who will literally attach himself to it, who will tie himself to it. For the Jew and then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, and I want to tell you what the gospel is just very quickly and then we'll move on. The gospel is much more than the good news. The gospel is a person. The gospel is Jesus Christ. He is the gospel. 
For in the gospel, in Jesus, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. So the the power of the gospel, the power of Jesus, is there to make me righteous. And then quickly it turns. The wrath of God, this is verse 18, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. Now let's come right down to where the rubber hits the road. I have been in a number of different churches. And I have to tell you what I experience. I experienced this in the National Prayer Chapel, much to my shame and much to my sorrow. And I've experienced this in many other churches. And that is a kind of deadness, a kind of spiritual death, a lack of victory. A, a lack of excitement, a lack of joy, a lack of aliveness, a sorrow, a defeat. Now, you can whip up emotions with worldly music in a church. But I want to tell you, that's not what the old-timers talked about when they said there was a joyous celebration because the victory was won. You can go to a concert. You can go to a rave. You can go to a place where there's all kinds of music being played, and you can respond and let that music attach itself to your emotions and it can produce all kinds of feelings i'm not talking about that i'm talking about something much much deeper than this i'm talking about the inward knowledge that i'm not right with god and in these churches i hear a very common theme I hear a theme that is of encouragement, a theme that is just keep trusting Jesus, a, a theme that says you're saved. Just keep, just keep moving forward. In other words, keep soldiering on. And you know, I've come to a place in my life where I'm not willing to continue soldiering on. If that's the Christian life, it is indeed a miserable life. Oh, but I have an inner peace. I don't care if you have a false inner peace, if on the outside and the inside you still know you're walking in sin and there are areas of your life that you have refused to turn over to Jesus and you have refused to repent. That sadness in our heart is caused by the wrath of God 
being revealed from heaven in our inner being because we have refused to repent. Some of you, as I'm speaking, say, Pastor, I don't know what I'm to repent of. I I know what you're talking about. I know that that sense of depression and discouragement. I know that sense of defeat. I know that sense of, of I've done all I can do and, and I don't know what else to do. And You know, we'll do almost anything other than repent. Give me some task to do. Give me something that'll make me feel good about myself. A refusal to submit a refusal to surrender. And so, okay, if I'm required to pay 10% of my income, I'll do that. If if I'm required to, to give up going to the clubs, I'll do that. If I'm, if I'm required to give up pornography, okay, I hear you, I'll try to do that. If, if I'm supposed to be kind to people, okay, I'll try to do that. So I'm trying all over the place to do everything I can do to be right with Jesus. But at the essential core, I have still kept my own life. At the essential core, I still belong to me. And so I'm trying to do all of these things out here. I'm trying to behave in ways I'm supposed to behave. I'm trying to give up my anger. I'm trying, and I hear Christians say this, oh, I need more patience. The problem is a patience problem. No, it's not. The problem is a sin problem. Frankly, it's not even an anger problem. It's a sin problem. It's not a pornography problem. It's a sin problem. At the very essence of your soul, you still own you. So the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven. So our churches are filled with men and women who do not have the victory over their sin. They don't have the victory of belonging entirely unto Jesus. And so there's an absence of joy in their life, an absence of peace in their heart. And they're trying to do all of these things and they're wearing themselves out, trying to be good, trying... You know, God never asked us to be good. He asked us to repent. Jesus asks us to repent. The first message of Jesus as he comes out of the wilderness is he preaches, you must repent. Now, what is repentance? Well, the Greek word is metanoia, and it literally means from two words, an afterthought. That's the literal meaning of the word, the words, word metanoia, an afterthought. So literally, the word repent means to reflect on what I have been doing and and how I've been thinking and how I've been functioning 
and having a second thought about that and recognizing that I'm not walking with Jesus. Recognizing that I have not repented. Now, how do we move through this? How do we come to a place where we're no longer willing to hold ourselves back from God? Well, we have some good reasons for holding ourselves back from God. Let's be honest. If we do not hold ourselves back from God, it will mean a very great change in our lives and in our focus. And frankly, in America, it takes all of the energy and time we have just to do all the things we need to do and want to do. I have a whole list of things that need to be done. And this morning, instead of doing that long list of things that I need to get done, I can tell you some of them. I need to straighten out the basement. I need to get some unpacking done. I need to get some organization brought to my office. I have boxes of office supplies. I have... I have a garage that needs to be straightened out and cleared out so I can get two cars into it. Now that I'm married, we have my wife's car and my car, and right now she's parking in the garage and I'm parking outside. I can see the snow coming. Well, why didn't I do that this morning? Because the first call of my heart was to come into the presence of God and sit before him. Pray. Read the scriptures. Hear from God what his orders were for the day. So that's what I did. Now, yes, I have a radio broadcast I need to do. That's my job. And so... Yes, I needed to get about doing and preparing for this radio broadcast. And I finally had the time set aside, and I did that. But before that, I had to have time with Jesus. I had to have time because... Frankly, whether my garage is cleared out or not is not going to be a matter of whether I go to heaven or hell. Whether I get my office unpacked the rest of the way is not going to determine whether I go to heaven or hell. Frankly, I'm much more concerned about you than I am about my office. I'm much more concerned about 
how I can speak to you in a way that will cause you to stop in your tracks and begin to look very carefully at your sin. Now, we all have a conscience, and that conscience stands between us and God, and that conscience indicates to us where there's an issue, where there's a problem. Now, we can sear our conscience and pretend that what we're doing is okay. And you know what? It might be okay for a person of this world, but it's not okay for a person who is on a single-minded journey toward heaven and taking as many with you as you can as you fellowship in the body of Christ in the church. Salvation is found in the church. The command is to repent. We find this in Acts, the second chapter. They are cut to the heart by the sermon that Peter has just presented, and he has spoken very forthrightly about their sin. They have crucified the Lord. And they're cut to the heart. Now, I'm going to be very straightforward. A dear friend of mine wrote a newsletter. And with that newsletter, he received a great deal of money in offerings for his church and for his ministry. I noticed a trend in his writing, and that trend was that some newsletters would be very forthright and would identify sin and would call for repentance. Other newsletters were very encouraging and comforting and meant to encourage God's people in the midst of their painful trials. And I said to him, how do you decide what you're going to write? He said, well, the Holy Spirit directs me. But then he got very honest with me and admitted that he would pull his punches on certain newsletters because if he wrote too much about sin and repentance and holiness, people would stop giving as much. And he needed that financial resource to do the ministry God had called him to do. That is the temptation of every pastor. We all as pastors want the people to love us. And sometimes there is a very heavy price to pay when we speak finally the truth. I was confronted when My wife, before she was my wife, said to me, you preach differently on the radio than you do at the National Prayer Chapel. I had to face that and confess that that was true and recognize that I had not been as forthright 
And so finally I went and spoke the unvarnished truth to the congregation. The result was many left. They were deeply offended. I understand that struggle. I've been a pastor for many years, and I don't fault my brother. I recognize the struggle. But I can't do that. I've come to a place in my life where I see that everything is about to crash in America. And we need revival. And revival only comes through that small door of repentance. In fact, revival is a new decision to obey God. And that decision to obey God only flows out of repentance, metanoia, an afterthought, a recognition that what I'm doing is not what God has called me to do. Now, for you, that may be constantly sitting in front of the television or listening to the radio, going to the pornography, going to the clubs, being a workaholic, being angry and bitter with family members or others, not forgiving them. I don't know what the sins are in your life, and I say sins, plural. Because without the victory in Jesus over all of these sins, there will not be joy in your heart. The lack of joy, the lack of life, is a sign of the need of repentance. And the other side is you just joyously go about whatever you're doing, shallowly considering all of the advantages you have and enjoying the good times and and the friendships and the frivolity and the laughter and the jokes. But you know that underneath that frivolity and underneath those jokes and under when you're by yourself, as one sinner man said to me, I don't understand. Where can I find joy? I said, joy is a byproduct. I don't know of any store where you can go and buy joy. Joy is a byproduct. It's a byproduct of repentance and holiness. So the call comes to repent. Peter said in Acts 2, verse 37, 38, and the people heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, for the aphemy of your sins, for the removal of your sins. Aphemy means not just forgiveness, it means removal. 
and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Do you want the Holy Spirit? We're beginning to talk about revival meetings at the National Prayer Chapel. And on December 4, 2017, we will hold the first revival meeting. Holy Spirit revival meeting. Well, what will the Holy Spirit revival meeting be about? Coming to an honest place of finally saying, I want Jesus. More than anything else, I want Jesus. I want to be prepared beyond anything else that I might go to heaven and that I might take people with me and I need the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in my life. I need the anointing power of the Holy, of the Holy Spirit in my life. I'm hungry for more of God. I'm tired of the shallows. I need to go deep with Jesus. How do you do that? starts with repentance it is repentance forgiveness or removal of sin and holiness those three are the triumvirate repentance removal of sin by the blood of Jesus Christ not by your works by the blood of Jesus Christ and holiness and so revival is about repentance coming to an understanding that your sin is forgiven it is removed from your heart and you are made holy by the blood of Jesus that's what revival is all about we need revival in America we need revival in the church We need revival. And so I have been before the Lord pleading that he would uncover any hidden ground in my life that was not his, that does not belong to Jesus. And I'm going to be frank with you. I have found some areas where I yet think I have the right to go do whatever I would like to do that's not sin per se it's just independence I'm in charge of me I can go do what I'd like to do that's wholesome and good but I can go do what I want to do no I can't I've had to repent of this I've had to say Jesus I want every part of my heart to belong to you. I don't want any part of my heart withheld. I need it all in your hands. I need everything in the hand of Jesus. 
I don't want it anymore in my hands. So I've had to come before the Lord and suddenly I'm making very rapid progress in the Spirit. Because as he is identifying those even innocent areas where I have been ruling my own life, he is rewarding me with an absolute confidence and joy in the presence of the Holy Spirit in my life. The first call is to repent. If you'd like to begin this process, why don't you sit down with paper and pencil and just begin to carefully look at your life. And as the Holy Spirit, through your conscience, begins to identify those areas where it's not necessarily even right or wrong, it's just where you go because you can. Or it may be very specific acts of rebellion and wickedness on your part. You may go in the privacy of your of your office and click on that computer and go to those wicked pages of pornography. Or you may curse. Or you may be smoking and drinking, drugging. Now, some people are going to say, Pastor, what's wrong with smoking? It's not in the scriptures that you shouldn't smoke. Oh, yes, it is. It's very clearly indicated that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, and it's not to be polluted. Oh, Pastor, it's not there that I should not drink. Oh, yes, it is. You're not to pollute your body. Pastor, it's not there that I shouldn't gamble. It's an innocent amusement. It's not in Jesus, and he would not sit down with you and gamble. Do you think Jesus would sit down and play cards with you? Come on, get real with me. Do you think Jesus would go with you to some of the places you go for entertainment? Is he going to sit down with you and watch that baseball game? Some are so calloused in their spirit that they'd say, Oh, yes, of course Jesus would go to the baseball game or the football game and watch the pros play. Well, it's interesting. There was in Jerusalem at the time of Jesus a great amphitheater where the latest plays were coming in from Rome and from other places and where local groups would present. Never even once did Jesus say to his disciples, hey, let's take the night off, guys, and let's go to the uh, amphitheater. Let's, I've got some tickets for us. Let's, let's go see the show tonight. Not once did Jesus say that to his disciples, but he could have. No, everything about our life has to be reexamined. And every part of our life 
given over into the hand of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Peter with the crippled man. Now, brothers, this is Acts 3, verse 17. Now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders, but this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Christ, his Messiah, would suffer. Repent then and turn to God that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Times of refreshing do not come by going to church. Times of refreshing come as we repent and we turn to God and our sins are wiped out. Now, there's a lying doctrine that I was taught. As a child, I was taught that a man is justified by faith, meaning, and believe me, I do believe in justification by faith and by faith alone. But let me be clear. The words are very strange things. Let's be clear. I was taught that justification was a forensic or legal term and that I was declared righteous and that then my sins were all covered, past, present, and future. And then I began what was called sanctification. So my church taught that I was saved by justification and by sanctification. But then other churches were taught that justification is a legal term, a forensic term, past, present, and future sins are forgiven, and now sanctification is the process of growing up in Jesus, but it doesn't matter how you progress in sanctification. You're saved. You can't be lost. I find both to be absolute lies. When I repent of my sin, I receive the forgiveness or the removal of my sins. I am justified, and the word simply means to be made righteous. It doesn't mean forensic. It doesn't mean legal. There is nowhere in the scriptures where justification is ever spoken of in terms of a forensic legal righteousness, except in the Old Testament, under the Old Covenant, under the blood of bulls and goats, but never in the New Testament is justification ever spoken of in any legal sense. It is real. It is imparted righteousness. It is real righteousness that Jesus places in us by faith. We have left our sin. We have the victory. We walk in that victory, and we celebrate the glorious righteousness of Jesus, and he becomes everything for us now part of what you're going to learn if you're willing to come to these monday night meetings that will begin on december 4 you're going to learn what it means 
to stand condemned before the law and what the wrath of God means and the consequence of continuing to walk in that sin. And the lies are going to be exposed of this false righteousness, this false justification. And you're going to begin to understand the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ that you can be set free and you can have the victory and you no longer have to mope about and you no longer have to pretend and you no longer have to struggle. You have the victory in Jesus and now you can use both hands and heart to reach out and love other people. That's what I want for you. That's what my goal is for you. Now this week we're going to talk about this. We're going to go into the book of of Romans. We're going to talk about this forgiveness. It's essential. Without the repentance and the removal of sin, we are under the judgment of God. It doesn't matter how you twist words. If you have not had your sins removed, not just forgiven, removed, if you have not finished the work of repentance, you cannot consecrate yourself fully to Jesus. And what I'm seeing across the broad scope of American church is that men and women have never left their sin. And have never really repented. And so they don't have the victory. Is that how you're walking today? Is that what's happening in your life? Do you have a need to begin to examine this issue of repentance and to cry out to Jesus as the Puritans constantly did for the gift of tears before a holy God? The Puritans, more than any other people in history, went down into the depths of a man's heart to examine his heart and expose it fully to the blood of Jesus that all sin could be removed. Without repentance, there is no forgiveness. Without forgiveness, there is no holiness. Have you repented? Or did you just repent enough to say, now I'm a follower of Jesus, but somehow I'm going to make it through? Almighty God, I pray today for each who has listened to this broadcast and I pray for the gift of tears. I pray for the gift of tears for myself and for my brothers and sisters. I pray that you will prepare the way for revival in Washington, D.C. and in America. And so I come today praying for the gift of tears. Come, Lord Jesus. I pray in your holy name. Amen. 
You're going to be hearing a great deal more about the revival meetings. I pray that you will come. It will be on a Monday evening. We are negotiating, making plans for an interdenominational revival meeting. I can't announce the place yet, but it will be a large venue where many can come, and they will begin on December the 4th at 7.30 in the evening. They will be accessible to anyone in the Washington metro area. I'm praying you will come. Stay tuned and we'll announce where very quickly. Now we also pray for your support that God will move in your heart to give. I thank the many of you who are already giving for this month's cost of radio. I won't name you, but I'm very grateful for you. Some of you have sacrificed much. No, it's not a sacrifice, is it, to give offerings unto the Lord, but thank you. Write to me at the National Prayer Chapel. Just make a note for Pilgrim's Progress. Send it to Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. And I remember the Builders Campaign. We have $5,500 toward the 10000 that we need to begin to negotiate for the FM dial. I know some of you have already given. Thank you. But we need others who will step up and give significant amounts of money for the FM dial. This word has to go out. There has to be revival in Washington. God bless you. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley, National Prayer Chapel. Talk to you soon.